0: If life is short, how do you do something that means something? And I remember thinking, I wish I only cared about making money, because I feel like there are jobs you could just go and do. But I remember reading Life's little instruction book, and it was like, don't learn the tricks of the trade, learn the trade. And I was like, how do I choose a trade that would make me a better person?
1: When a family illness shook Blair Seidler-Hammond's freshman year and made her reevaluate what was really important in this brief life, She had a hard time finding meaning beyond relationships and the daily joys of painting and sailing. Realizing her days might benefit from a more structured purpose, she concentrated on science and was drawn back to the classroom, but afraid of blood, never considered a life in medicine. Find out how leaning into joy and relationships can actually be the same thing as finding meaning on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today, I'm here with Blair Seidler-Hammond, and we are going to talk about times that keep you in one place and times that put you in another and where that ultimately takes us. So Blair, thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: I'm happy to be here. Thanks.
1: So I start these conversations with two questions typically, and they are these. When we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become?
0: That's so interesting. Um, When I started college, actually, my mom was sick with cancer and she died at the end of my freshman year and Dartmouth was so supportive and amazing. And then I sailed a lot. I had this period of time when I was at college, I remember after my mom died, Being like, why is everyone stressing out so much? Like, you're all chasing the wrong things. And I was a studio art major. And I sailed a lot. Like, literally every weekend. And I was like, people aren't appreciating the process. Like, it's such a short life. Like, what's going on? And, you know, you have that. You, You almost see the end when you're still sort of at the beginning. And I love sailing. And I was like, you just have to each day find the joy relationships are what matter you know you go to a funeral you talk at a funeral i remember i came up the day after my aunt's funeral drove up took all of my exams packed my dorm and came home for the summer and then i went back up that fall and i was like what is what is the meaning of all this and so i i painted a lot Mm -hmm. and i sailed a lot but i always loved science and all of a sudden going into my senior year i was like huh probably not going to actually die as soon as I keep thinking I might, you know, you come around and, and I've been like, I really do like science. And I've always just randomly taken lots of science classes and maybe actually I'll be a biology major. And a, your a senior studio, year. Yep. A studio art minor, my senior year. You know, it's funny. I was so worried. Like I tried really hard in school in part, cause I try really hard, but also in part when my mom was sick, she'd be like, like what can I do for you and she'd be like just just study just do well and I was like I will do that like it's my job if that's what you want me to do I did have this one physiology class with Dr. Velez and my roommates would get annoyed at me because I would be like you won't believe what I'm learning about physiology and (laughs) why do you keep talking to us about your textbook, like, no one's actually interested. And I was like, I don't understand why people aren't interested in this. And people are like, you should go to med school. So many people would say to me, you should go to med school. I was like, no, 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 no. All the people in med school, there's this competitiveness. There's this focus on, like, just the end and not the process. And I kept, like, thinking at any moment I was going to die. Um. So I was like, that doesn't seem right. That seems such, like, such a long journey.
1: So, Blair, when you were saying all that process stuff, it wasn't like... You know, seize the day because this is you know our one shot at all of this, and we want to you want to live to the fullest. It was a fatalism. It was like we have only this short amount of time, and so it's all pointless.
0: Yeah, it was. It was a little bit of both. It was a like it's such a short life. Yeah, such a short life. Like I want to do things that I enjoy, and at the time, I mean, I think you know you're grieving, and I'm like, how do I stay? Mentally well, yeah, um, and you're 19, and and yeah, yeah, and so, and and doing those things that brought me joy, and I was I was good at identifying like painting brings me joy, mm-hmm. sailing brings me joy, bizarrely studying also brings me joy, and I'm a lame person who could have gone to school forever. Like going to school brought me joy, and actually, I really did have a little bit of a panic. Upon graduation, and I felt Mm -hmm. like so many of my friends were going off to consulting jobs and so many to finance jobs. And I was like, I don't know, that doesn't resonate with me. I always feel like there was a goodness of fit of school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Where how am I gonna find that same goodness of fit? And if life is short, how do you do something that means something? You know? And I remember thinking, I wish I only cared about making money because I feel like there are jobs you could just go and do. But I remember reading Life's Little Instruction book, and it was like, don't learn the tricks of the trade, learn the trade. And I was like, how do I learn a trade? And how do I choose a trade that to do it, it would make me a better person? And I still, our graduation speaker, I don't know if you remember, David David Halberstam said, the most important decision you make besides... The partner you choose Mm -hmm. is the career you choose. And if they're paying you a lot of money to do it when you're like 22 years old, it's probably because you wouldn't do it if they didn't pay you that. And he's like, so think about something that really like fills your soul. And I remember just being like, oh my God, how am I going to find that? And I really had no idea. I mean, random people were like, you should go to med school because you are annoyingly talking about physiology. And my ninth grade bio teacher told me you should go to med school, but I was actually afraid of blood. So that seemed like a really large hurdle to overcome. (laughs) And I spent like the summer after I graduated, I actually took care of a child who had an intrauterine brain injury. And he was like 15 years old with a pretty significant seizure disorders and stuff. But I really liked working with, you know, an adolescent who was more like a child and caring for him. And there were some medical complex. I was like, oh, I like caring for people. I like, I like this. And I was like, hmm. And I had one class left to do. I had done all of a pre-med major unintentionally. And my now husband at the time, boyfriend was going to be the squash coach at Dartmouth. And I talked to the sailing coach because I sailed a lot at Dartmouth. I was like, hey, do you need an assistant sailing coach? And I actually went back up and I was the assistant sailing coach and I took a post-bac class in organic chemistry and I worked in a research lab and I did that for a year. And I was like, this is so amazing and I love it so much. I still am afraid of blood and do I really need to do this? And people were like, well, you know, med school is a big commitment. And I was like, well, maybe I should just teach science. Maybe I'll go and teach science. And I went back and I actually taught biology and chemistry for two years. And I loved, I loved it. I love teaching. I love adolescence. And it was, it was so fun. And the drama and the ridiculousness when people be like, hey, Ms. Seiler, can I wear my sunglasses instead of my lab goggles? And people be like, you can't actually make me lab partners with him because he asked me to this dance. I said, no, it's going to be super awkward. And then you're going to have to sit through me being awkward. And I was like, that's so funny. I'm good at that. I can sit through that. But um, it was really fun. But I sort of, again, like that nerdiness, I kind of wanted to learn more. And I, I wanted a graduate degree. And it was, I hate to say it, but a little bit of a whim. And I was missing Dartmouth. And I was like, what's a job I could do and live up at Dartmouth? And that's actually part of what
1: Maybe and the job you could do. A doctor.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's so ridiculous. And then I also thought more and more, I was like, just my mom being sick, I was like, you know, the people who were, just took the time to sit with her and like, and not just see it as an illness, but be. I think I had sort of thought of medicine as almost, I, I don't know, I, I hadn't focused as much as on the bedside manner because I hadn't been sick growing up. And I was like, that sounds interesting. I would like to sit and get to know people and learn their story. And I always thought, I love giving advice to people. I'll give unsolicited advice anytime you want basically, but it'd be nice to actually have knowledge and give advice that could actually be helpful and you could hear things and know things. So I thought, oh, I'll go back to med school. And I did, and I actually went back up to Dartmouth for med school and it was so fun everything about, I I don't know why I think Dartmouth was a really nice med school. And I would go cross country skiing after exams and Mm -hmm. learn all this stuff and get to be like, you got to do community service. And it really, really was amazing. I mean, it it was like an embarrassing story interviewing for med schools. They're like, so you've done nothing in medicine and you're interested, you think based on nothing and you're afraid of blood. So how's this going to play out? Um, And I was like, I don't know. It's just, idea i have i have this weird idea because someone told me my roommate said maybe i should do it so
1: well and so blair within that process you're big on process did you find that it was kind of the training of the the book part and the wow let me tell you about this thing about anatomy and the learning or the part that was going to get you closer to the bedside manner and the practice that fed you more or was it the combination and that you really did find something that like put it all together?
0: I think it was actually the combination. And the truth is the first two years of med school, when you're doing a lot of just the book learning and studying, I love that part. That was not at all painful. And most people find it painful. And I did, you know, surgery and I was like, this is definitely not for me, people. And I'm going to pass out here if I stand any longer. It was in pediatrics where when I was in there, with all the patients where you can be silly, where you can blow up the gloves into balloons and you can bring the silliness and try and have that I don't real connection with the patients. I, I I loved getting to know patients on other services, but I felt like you I spent more time. I was like, I just like being around children. And that's when I was like, oh, this is amazing. And 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 getting to know the whole family. And so many people are like, oh my gosh, Peds is amazing because the children are so great except the parents are so irritating that you will not want to do it because parents are going to drive you crazy but i i love that part of it i loved the parents caring and it's sort of i can't explain it it almost reminded me of my mom caring for me and there was just a closeness that i was like oh i love this i love how much parents care about their children doing well that's Wonderful. So that just, it all of a sudden when I did my Peds rotation, I was like, done. I finally found that. Like, I always talk about finding your resonating frequency. Like, where does it just like naturally flow? Yeah. And that sort of seemed it.
1: Yeah. And we will definitely get back to the parenting part probably in two ways. But, so you've figured it out during that rotation. Then you go through the whole matching and all that and figuring yep, out. Yep, That's yep. the kind Everyone of doctor that be. story. Right. Yeah. Um, but you kept, unlike many of us, kept your college boyfriend, who is now Ned. husband. So how did that work? How did that work for him in Hanover? What was his life doing at the same Hilarious. time?
0: Poor guy. Um, well, I will say he's a very patient human. Like everyone will be like, he, <laughs> the joke is he's like the Dalai Lama on Valium. He's a laid back human being. And so he was in law school was, while I was in med school. And so we would see each other, like, we never broke up through all of that. And then he had a job in New York, and my family was in the New York area. So I was like, oh, well, I'll come to New York for residency. And in our mind, we we're like, we'll go back to Hanover. Like, that's where hmm. we one day will want to be, probably, because I just, I loved it so much. And that's part of how I chose my residency at Mount Sinai. We got married right two weeks before I graduated from med school and then moved in. And I was like, oh my gosh, being married is so fun. And he's like, maybe it's just that you're also like getting paid for work instead of just taking <laughs> tasks. And maybe it's that you're, we're not doing long distance. I was like, it just seems so fun. And then of course it's a pediatric residency and I like children and I didn't have my own kids. So working hard sounded great and fun, and and in new york i said it's like you see the whole world you know all all different patients so residency was really fun and i don't know i feel bad for him i feel like his life wasn't he was a lawyer that's not as i hate to say it for for some people maybe it is but it didn't seem as fun as being a pediatrician
1: (laughs) well i'm sure you kept his life fun so that thinking you were going to go back to bucolic rural new hampshire this was just like a you know city time yeah but city time turned into the rest of the time i know right?
0: that part is weird it's funny because i i finished my residency i did a made up medical education fellowship so i knew i'd like to teach and it's funny when i was interviewing i said one day maybe i'll teach and be a doctor and do research and the person's like you're not going to be doing all of that one all day it's not possible and now i'm like oh you were wrong it is possible but um so I got to stay on teaching the pediatric course. It's called the clerkship and the sub internship um, at Mount Sinai while I was doing this medical education um, fellowship. And interestingly, I got offered a job actually up in Hanover. It was yeah. my dream job. I had a one and a half year old. I was pregnant with my second, and I literally, I'm like, I'm gonna go back back to Hanover. I like interviewed, I was like, oh my gosh, I love all these people. I love Hitchcock. I love it here so much. We had so much fun here in college. And my sister called me and she's like, just so you know, all those mountains, you and Scott hiked, you can't hike with a two-year-old and a newborn. And just so you know, putting on snowsuits and ski boots with young children is really annoying and like she just was saying all this stuff and and then scott's like here's the realm and he kept looking he's like there just aren't a lot of law jobs up there and i was like do you want to coach the squash team again like (laughs) what do we do here it was sort of like a a little bit of a crisis for me because i i did want to go back up there but then my dad um has alzheimer's and i was like gosh i feel like i need to be closer by and the diversity of the patients in new York City and the need of so many, it's very rewarding. You know what I mean? There was something right. kind of special and unique and I felt like I had kind of built this made up fellowship and then I built a made up thing called the teaching rotation. I was like, and then they let me build my own practice, like a faculty practice, like all these, I, I was like, every time I have an idea, they say yes. So, but it was, it was the, one of the hardest decisions to make in my career, possibly the hardest was to say no to that job that sounded so awesome. Yeah, but it is
1: great to know that you were choosing between two things that either way was going to be great for you, and so this has turned out just a different way. And one of the things that you, one of these brilliant ideas that they've said yes to involves another one of our classmates who talked about co-founding something with you at Mount Sinai, and that brings us back to the recognition that a sick child isn't just a sick child or an unwell child, or even a well child, uh, isn't those things without a parental system around them. So talk to us about your next brilliant idea.
0: The, the other ones weren't brilliant ideas, those were like stumbling into things, but um, this was more actually the idea of almost responding to a need. So. I was doing general pediatrics and I was teaching medical students and residents about pediatrics. But as I was doing general pediatrics, I was trained on you know, diagnosing meningitis and treating ear infections. And I knew a lot about the medicine, but more and more what I was seeing were developmental delays, anxiety disorders, mental health disorders, kids who are biting, hitting, not, not sleeping well. And, and parents kept asking me these questions and I wanted to be like, I went to med school. This was not taught in my med school. And so my fellow classmate, Aliza Pressman, was a developmental psychologist in New York. And so I would often call her with these type of questions and be like, which should I recommend Aliza to the family? What resources, et cetera. And we would often talk and she would sometimes ask me some medical questions too. And she was in disbelief that doctors would not, be trained on this. And the more and more we talked about, we're like, it is such a gap in pediatric care. Developmental psychology and understanding developmental psychology is so the essence of long-term wellness. And then there's all this data coming out about how parenting, caregiving environment, so influences the expression of genes the development of parts of the brain. And and my favorite line is there's over a million nerve connections made every second in the brain in the first three years of life. And 90% of brain growth is by age five. And it is literally the back and forth interactions of caregivers that help that brain and child flourish and long-term health, not just emotional and social, but actually physical and, you know, academic and all those other wonderful, important things and so we sort of got together with this idea of like, how can we train physicians to get this baseline knowledge? And how do we think about weaving in sharing the science of early development and positive caregiving behaviors into the healthcare space? And so to do that, we joined a fabulous team and, you know, we were lucky enough to have people, Harry Quinn and Mariel Benjamin and these amazing people who joined us and were like, listen, we are going to really fundraise and we are going to try and figure out a way through full philanthropy that we can create scalable resources to help train all residents, all providers and to share all sorts of resources with families that really talk about, it's really this, what we call early relationships and early relational health and the back and forth interactions that have been shown to be associated with these long-term health outcomes. And it's been such a fun, creative, amazing experience to do this. And I feel so lucky to have sort of stumbled into this with great people. And I don't know, a fellow classmate, Carrie Freeman Braddock, was like, I love this idea. We're gonna help you get funding for this and helped fund it. And then there are people like Matt Miller, who's also a classmate, who ended up being on our board and 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 we got this support to create these things that are now becoming sort of the standard of training residents and now we're going out and trying to train physicians in practice and we just have a new video series that just launched this summer called the sparks video series that goes it pairs with each of the well child visits about promoting early child development and positive caregiving behaviors and again the idea is that i think anyone who's been a parent knows just how hard it is to be a parent and so we wanted it a resource for everyone and we wanted it to be like a strengths based sort of model of how do we all have a growth mindset about how we interact with our children and other children and how can we as providers bring that joy and showing delight in children and in families and you know I always say my favorite my favorite line is to tell parents in the newborn nursery about over a million nerve connections being being made every second. And I always say, I'm like, you are your baby's favorite toy. It's your voice. (laughs) It is your touch. It is your smell. It is um, your face that really literally builds their brain. And so that's sort of where I am now is, is doing that and getting to be a pediatrician, which really, it's so funny. I never imagined that I would find a job I liked so much.
1: Yeah. Well, and on top of that, you have the job of mother, um, which I'm sure both feeds into all the work that you do and
0: benefits from the oh, work. Oh, that you do. I always say I started the Parenting Center because my first was the most colicky. I, I always wanted children. I love children. Interestingly, she was born on what would have been my mom's 65th birthday, which is mm. crazy. She was the most colicky baby. And I remember thinking, I cannot believe that so many people have children. And like, I I literally (laughs) thought, I was like, I understand why people shake their children. I know that sounds horrible to confess, but it's like, it's really hard and you're sleep deprived. I was like, this is not easy, folks. This is not for the faint of heart. And yet we all seem to be doing it. So how can we better help? People do it yeah. and, and, and recognize like and, and label and validate just how hard it is.
1: And give ourselves a little grace that Correct. you're not born to know how to do this, really. Mm-mm. I mean, parts of us, I guess, are, but
0: yeah. there's no, I'm you're glad you're building the playbook. And you're <laughs> frustrated. All bets are off. And, yeah. and and when other people are like, you better control your child or your child. I can't believe they behave like that. Like, how does that feel? And yeah, yeah how do we... I'll go through it
1: together. So, Blair, you just said you couldn't have imagined that you would find something that you love this much. Let, let's take you back. So you're, let's say, 19, 20, somewhere in the middle, the muddy middle, <laughs> and a little angel comes down and says, hey, take a look at this. Look where you are in 25 years. What would that Blair have said?
0: I'd say I can't believe I'm literally giving children's shots like I was so needle phobic I was so I'd be like what am I what what am I doing I don't even like standing for long periods of time I think I I would I would be like it it hadn't occurred to me I mean some people knew they were going to be doctors since they were four I was not that person Yeah, is what I'll say I'll be like oh wow well I did like science so I guess it makes sense and I like humans that also makes sense
1: but um but to know that it feels so right right now yeah, is, I think, a lesson to younger people to say, who knows? You, you might not know it yet. You might not have put all the puzzle pieces together, right?
0: I did yeah. not know it. And I remember graduating and feeling like everyone knows what they're doing but me.
1: Mm-hmm. And I remember
0: even when I was teaching being like, oh, my God. And then when you start med school, I was like, is this ever going to end? Like, I love it, but everyone else is making money and I am not. And this feels a little bit scary and like it's it's going to take a long time to get there. Yeah. Well, it think.
1: hasn't been that long. Right, exactly. Then you get there. <gasps> yeah, None well, Claire... Thank you so much for sharing this, because I think it's just full of good surprises and some real wisdom, and clearly you have found a place for yourself, or many places,
0: multifaceted place for yourself that, that is working. So. And I'll just say this, it's really nice to have great friends from Dartmouth, because you can do great things with them. So keep in touch with your friends.
1: That was Blair Seidler-Hammond, a board-certified pediatrician at the Mount Sinai Doctor's Faculty Practice, where she founded the General Pediatrics Family Practice. She's also an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics at Mount Sinai, where she has received their Excellence in Teaching Award. Along with classmate Elisa Pressman, Blair is co-founding director of Mount Sinai Parenting Center, where she also serves as Director of Medical Education, helping to transform the way pediatric healthcare is delivered by maximizing opportunities to promote strong parent-child relationships and early child development within everyday healthcare interactions. She applies her work at home, too, living and parenting as she does with her husband and classmate, Scott Hammond, and their three children in Westchester, New York. We like to think we're promoting stronger relationships among our featured guests and our listeners through our show. Feel free to drop us a line at roadstakenshow at gmail.com or through the Contact Us page at roadstakenshow.com to let us know how you've been impacted by the show or what your favorite moments have been so far. As always, thanks for listening, and be sure to join me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, for future episodes of Roads Taken.